Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 74 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen on a bright, beautiful, unseasonably warm January week before the Super Bowl, Deflate Gate, the Seahawks, and all the shenanigans that they bring to the table. This is just great persuasion fodder, Kurt. It's good stuff, but, you know, it's warm on the West Coast. The East Coast is getting ready for the storm of the century. Of You know, who knows if that happens. That's the media for you, but... Yeah, Deflate Gate, Super Bowl, a lot of things happening in the news, so let's persuade. Yeah, by, by the time we post this episode uh, later this week, many of you in New England and New York and the whole tri-state area will probably be dead from the snowstorm <laughs> from what we're being told. So you won't ever get to hear this great podcast. What a shame. Yeah, just download the podcast before it happens or let people know about it before the storm hits. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I hear this stuff, and I, you know, New York, tri-state area, you know, they don't need water. We're out here, and it's it's really warm for January, and we're going to be hating it in July. The whole state's going to be on fire. And I'm thinking, you know, we'll just, we'll take six inches off of you, but uh, that's just not <laughs> how it works. Well, I'm feeling kind of, I guess, violated because when I lived back east in Pennsylvania, I went through the storm of the century. So, I mean, which one is it? Has it been more than a century? Who gets it? <laughs> yeah, well, clearly yours was just a hoax. I know. How many storms of the centuries can you have? <laughs> <laughs> it's It sells tickets. It gets people to turn on the TV, and it sells ads. So everything's yeah, got to be sensationalized. We need to get some camera footage from the supermarkets right before the storm and uh, illustrate scarcity and psychological reactance. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to be working on Super Bowl Sunday, so you need to do all the homework on food for next okay. week's episode because I'm going to be useless. Uh-huh. I think that's a sin, but I have to look that one up. But we're, you know, Super Bowl Sunday—that's that's anyway. I, your call. I'll have to confess that sin, and <laughs> and yeah, it's that. I'm not happy about it, but uh, I'm just yeah. more concerned about the people who'd want to come versus uh, you. It's like, wait a minute, but they're well, they're local, so they probably get it home in time. Yeah, yeah, I won't be. I'll be literally on the plane through probably the second quarter through the end of the third quarter so well the good news is you probably get upgraded <laughs> I, I probably will because <laughs> there'll be nobody on that plane i got i've been getting upgraded a lot lately it's uh, it's been strange you know I, I fly delta and if you fly delta guys you know this that if you're in zone one of the boarding group that means you're the fourth group to board <laughs> and when delta calls for priority boarding we'd like to invite our priority passengers I mean, have you found, Kurt, that half the sitting area gets up? Half the plane is priority boarding? Yeah, they, with all their deals and perks and American Express stuff, they've uh, lost the priority feel. Yeah, it's definitely watered down. Definitely watered down. So let's get on to the podcast for today. And man, I really wish we had some kind of James Bond music that we could cue up for the geeky article moment. Cue up Urkel. Urkel, go! <laughs> all right. You guys want to know how to spot a spy using body language? Is this from the James Bond School of Spiness? Y- yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, just check. So, <laughs> but uh, I thought this was pretty cool stuff. This is from The Economist. I've been known to geek out on The Economist, and 
they had a cool article about catching spies. It's called James Bond's Body Language. And actually, intelligence agencies and immigration are using this a lot more than, than you think. The uh, Office of Net Assessment, that's a Pentagon think tank, they spent $300,000 a year interpreting body language of foreign leaders. And so it apparently it takes 20 hours of observation for these people to understand 30 minutes of somebody's body language. So they've got video of them. And I'll give you a chunk of the article. You tell me what you think here. Critics of this caution that movements can be rehearsed to mislead. Movements meaning body language. But involuntary microexpressions, which may last no longer than 1 25th of a second, often reveal concealed emotions, says Paul Ekman of Paul Ekman Group, a body language consultancy in California. His clients include the New York Police Department's Counterterrorism Division, intelligence agencies, and special forces who may need, he says, to know whether the captured survivors of a firefighter telling the truth when interrogated. Each microexpression's meaning isn't always clear. The face of a man about to detonate a suicide belt resembles that of a man who fears he's left home with the stove on, Mr. Ekman says. <laughs> so context is important. Consider the body language of Vladimir Putin in late February as Russia conspired to snatch Crimea from Ukraine. The Russian president's posture, eye movements, and other nonverbal cues showed he was feeling less confident than his swaggering speeches suggested. So what do you think, Kurt? Is this a viable way to uh, catch a terrorist? Well, absolutely. That's been proven. I mean, microexpressions are very interesting. The key is, is to look for clusters. You can't just look for one expression or another. You're looking for three, four, five, six. I, I was running, I think it was the John Wayne Airport, and I was late for my flight, big line, and I had to go to the bathroom. It was either go to the bathroom or get in line, but I had to get in line. I had to get there, and, man, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was showing all the micro expressions of nervousness and being tense, and they, the guy's all, you okay, sir? Where are you going? What's going on? I'm like, I just got to go. Let me through. He's like, oh, okay, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think you have to look at, the, like, like you mentioned, the oven on or going to the restroom. Is it nervousness? Those expressions. But there's definitely a science there. And, you know, Paul Ekman's awesome in that area. I think he's the best of the best as far as really decoding and understanding facial movements and micro expressions. Yeah, this, this article mentioned a really interesting article that was written in an Israeli magazine in 1979. They were studying Saddam Hussein's body language at the time, and they decided that he only hate, hated Israel somewhat, but he hated Iran enough to invade it. And sure enough, he invaded Iran a few months later. Uh, most he did to Israel was lob some missiles at him uh, during the Gulf War. So uh, you have to have, I think what the takeaway from the article is, you have to have a lot of video of somebody. Like they said, all that time that it takes to analyze just a few minutes of video. But when you get enough of those variables, those micro expressions, and you stack them all up, you can tell pretty well how somebody really feels about something. And also key factor, listeners, when you're going into a negotiation, you can use this technology, you can use this science. The key is talk to them about the weather or non-stressful things before you get into the negotiation to find their standard behavior. Then these micro-expressions are, are more clear because they come up when they're nervous or tense or they're lying. They're much easier to read if you have a default setting before you even start. Right, right. I got, I got into that, that show called uh, Homeland which is a fantastic show, and they're always interrogating terrorists, and they have to do what you're saying, Kurt. They have to establish a baseline, right? Mm -hmm. What does this guy look like 
when he's just answering normal questions. I do that with my daughter, right? When I when she's up to something, I'll ask her a few things that she has no reason to lie about and that I already know the answer to. And then you can tell, then you can tell. But clearly we're not supercomputers like some of the resources these people have where we can really get complex with it. But like Kurt said, in a negotiation, you talk about these things and when the tone changes, you've hit a nerve. There may be some deception. You may be in a in a problem area, something's going on. No, that's it's exactly right. It's important that we understand the science. It takes practice and just being alert. Sometimes we're so concerned about what we're saying next. We're not reading the obvious deception, the obvious behavior that could really help us in a negotiation or any type of influence. Sure. Okay, good. Good. Well, let's move on to the next portion of the show. Hey, guys, it's late January. What happened to your goals? Oh, yeah, those goals. Are we supposed to do that? I thought that was just for talking points. <laughs> yeah, you just talk about it. It's great to talk about it at the beginning of the year every year and then just forget about it. And I guarantee you, probably what, 70, 80% of people who set goals, it's getting real flaky right now. We're late January. Mm -hmm. They might be trying a little bit still, but hey, come February, those things are gone. They're ancient history. They are. That's a sad thing. Some of you are working towards them. Some of you are still thinking about them, but goals are critical. Every book on success, every motivational speaker in the world talks about it. When you do it the right way, it triples your commitment level. It makes you more successful. It makes you happier because you're on the right track. You feel like you're achieving something, but sometimes we just get stuck in the rut and we forget all about it. Recalibrate, everybody. you got to take 20 to 30 minutes a week, and if you're not willing to spend that time, then this just is not for you sit down and say, how did I do last week on my goals? What are the takeaways? What sabotaged me? Do I need to adjust goals? What can I do this coming week that moves the needle the most to get towards those goals? You got to reevaluate every week. I think every goal book or speech ever, Kurt, probably uses the analogy that a commercial airliner on the way from New York to LA is off track most of the time, but the pilot's always putting it back on track. Right. And then that's a great example. And the reality is also is that every week when you're looking at those goals, you're either closer or farther. And if you have to keep the score, if you're not keeping the score, you can't finish the game and achieve those goals. Exactly. Exactly. So we know everybody gets tired of talking about them, but well, Kurt and I were planning the show today. Yeah, we actually do plan the show sometimes. No, we plan it all the time. <laughs> but it, every third episode, every third we'll, episode we'll is totally planned out. But it occurred to us, you know, we're getting to that point where most people are starting to lose steam on their goals. And, and if you're starting to lose steam, it's because you're not following up, you're not measuring. And maybe you set too lofty of goals. Maybe you set too many of them, right? That used to happen to me all the time. I'd set too many of them. They were too big. I was going to take over the world this year, right? But pick two or three that are your main goals for the year that you really want to focus on. And that'll help you a lot. And that's a great thing, too. And, and give yourself more tools to achieve your goals and understand that it is a process. We want the quick fix, but this is a process, and it can be done. It happens all the time. Yep, it does. And playing off of that, what we wanted to drill into a little bit more today is vision versus worry. When we're trying to accomplish a task, right, we're building our business, we're trying to rack up sales, we do this because there's a reason, there's a why, and that's important with goals. And sometimes we're doing it because we have this great, optimistic, inspirational view of the future. And other times we do it because we're scared to death, 
<laughs> right? We're worried. We're running away from something. And sometimes having that perspective is actually okay. It gets you what you need to do. But most of the time, if it's a long-term productive goal, it needs to be done out of vision, does it not? It does. I love what Henry David Thoreau said. He said, if you've built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That's where they should be. Now put foundations under them. What he's saying is, is dream and dream big. Have a castle in the air. But now that you have that dream, let's put a foundation there and make it a reality. And that first part is that you have to have a vision. The universe will not reward you physically until you see it mentally, until you can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. It will not happen for you. When you have that vivid vision, as they call it, it brings meaning and purpose to life and commitment and direction and persistence, and it makes it easier to stay motivated. If you have a goal that when you think about it, you don't really believe you can do it, you can't see yourself achieving it, you can't see yourself that thin, you can't see yourself that wealthy, it will never happen. And here's the challenge, is that people get stuck on worry. And worry is negative goal setting. It expends the energy. It sucks the life out of you. And when you have vision, decisions are easy. Motivation's easy. The key factor here is winners win in advance. In fact, let me ask you, Steve, when you look at an Olympic athlete that has won a gold medal, how many times do you think they visualize winning that gold before that even happens? Uh, probably a few times, yeah. Yeah, I would say thousands yep. of times. They, they could see it. And it doesn't surprise them, right? It doesn't really surprise them. Well, they kind of act surprised sometimes, but they've been visualizing it, working towards that. They could see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it. And that's why it's so important to do that. And here's the reality check, okay? If you're stuck in worry about wealth or success or, or your health, it's because your vision's not strong enough. That's true with your coworkers. That's true with yourself. When people are stuck in worry, it's because they can't see themselves doing it. They can't see themselves accomplishing it. And it really holds them back. And if you can switch that in your mind and go from worry to vision, your goals are going to be a lot easier. You're going to be more motivated. You're going to have more direction. And you're going to accomplish a lot more in your life. Uh, that's true. And I think that part of that is you need to learn from the past, but not let it hold you back. I I'm not sure how to tell you to do that. I'm just, I just know that you got to do it. <laughs> I was listening to sports radio the other day and they were talking about the, the Super Bowl. And, and, and I always do think you, you brought up the Olympics, Kurt, but that mentality of, of sports, a, a lot of times they deal with so much spectacular failure in such a short period of time. And they have to dust themselves off and keep going because the game is happening right now. In the business world, it's not moving that quickly, usually for us. And and this uh, commentator was talking about how the Seattle Seahawks, they spend a ton of time and money on sports psychology for their players. If you remember, and, and, and I apologize to the audience that aren't football fans, but if you're still listening to us and you don't like football, I don't think that me talking about it a little longer is going to make you go away because <laughs> we already do that too much. But the game between the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers last week, Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the, the Seahawks, I don't know if you remember, Kurt, he had a terrible game. I think he had four interceptions. Yeah, he, four turnovers at least. Yep, he played terrible. But in that final minute and a half of the game, he was an absolute stud, and he went out there and he won the game. And uh, they were talking about it's because of this sports psychology that he and his team goes into where they ha it has to be about the next play. And forget about what, what happened last. Learn from it, but forget about it and go on to the next play. And I think we really need to do that. That's what vision is. It's vi envisioning 
succeeding in the future as opposed to worrying about the past and it's going to happen again and again. Yeah, I think he just went out there said and told his teammate, okay, let's win this thing. I mean, the past is the past. They really did have a terrible game. And that's one thing you have to think about with your past is, okay, learn from it. That's fine. But also realize that your family and friends, when you tell them about your goals and your dreams, most of the time they're going to spit on them. They're going to pull you down. They're going to suck the life out of you. But you have to realize the people around you will always judge you on your past mistakes and not your future potential. And that's where the future is. That's your vision. And it doesn't matter if somebody says something negative. And just realize, I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care where you've blown it. I don't care what mistakes you've made. Your future's spotless, and that's where your vision comes in. Because there's only two ways to face the future, with excitement or apprehension, and you get to choose. And excitement's a lot more fun than apprehension. But do learn from the past. You move on. Who cares who's judging your past? You're going towards the future. And when that vision is vivid, and you can see it, and you can visualize it before you go to bed, it will become real. And the moment it feels real... You will be so surprised. Your goals will just start clicking. They will start happening, and you'll start accomplishing them. Do you have any advice for how to walk that line? Because you do have to be careful about the past. There are mistakes that we've all made that you don't want to repeat again. But when you just sit there marinating in that negativity, the lesson that you learn does you no good, right? You just sit there and wallow in it. How do you productively learn from the past? but envision the future and and act out of that inspiration. You're right on. That is a fine line between the past and the future. I mean, the first thing we have to understand about human nature is one mistake has a hundred times more of an emotional toll than a victory because we marinate it, we think about it, we forget about our victories. I think it's great for people to sit down when they feel that way to create a victory list, things they've accomplished, when they won the game or they won the sale or they won their spouse, whatever it is. Get a victory list. Have a way to start thinking of your vision. Some people use a vision board. Some people like to write it out like a vivid vision statement. Some people like to do affirmations. Some do all the above. I don't care. Find out what works for you to get yourself into the game. Because when you're thinking, I'm wealthy and I'm wealthy, and your mind's going, yeah, right, you're broke. Okay, you're not quite there yet. You got to get to the point where you can visualize it. You can feel it to where your logical mind's not fighting with your subconscious mind anymore, they sync together, then things just start happening relatively fast for you. I think one of the best ways, too, to do what you're talking about, the person saying, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, but they're broke, and they're they're always that way, a lot of times it's, it's a product of their environment. Who do they hang around with? Who are they spending time with? There's so much truth to the fact that you become who you spend most of your time with. So take a look at that. Who are you spending most of your time with, folks? Are they assets, right? In my business, we like to say that we want to buy the ugliest house in the nice neighborhood, (laughs) right? (laughs) And maybe that's what you want to be with your associates, right? You're the ugliest house in the nice neighborhood, and everybody's pulling (laughs) you up instead of vice versa, right? And there's two ways to handle that. I think we've all gone to a family gathering and sat next to Aunt Edna and didn't even talk to her, and you can feel her sucking the life out of you, right? It's always the family or friends. Two options, you can limit your time with some of these people, or you could change your mindset. If someone's going to tear you down and spit on your dreams until you can't do it, eventually you just got to say, okay, watch me. Watch me do it. You've got to be able to handle that in the right way. And we're all programmed differently, but you choose what works for you. Either limit your time, or you just use it to motivate you, to drive you like, okay, all right, you just watch me. We'll make it happen. 
Yeah. Limit your time or, or harness that that's what you got to do, but you can't just allow yourself to be in that kind of an atmosphere. And it is so, it is so apparent when you look at successful people, right? I think, yeah, there probably are some successful people out there who just got lucky and ended up with a bunch of money or whatever it is. But if we were to define it just as money, Kurt, somebody who's not right mentally, they don't have it for long, right? I knew a lady years ago that she had inherited a couple million dollars when her parents died and she was flaunting it, right? She was out spending it, talked to her a couple of years later, she was just as broke as the next guy because mentally it wasn't there. And that's the problem. And so many times that whole lack of success, there's a lot of, of mental to that. And I, I'm not trying to say that there aren't circumstances in the economy and, and things beyond your control. But I do think that a positive mental attitude that sets goals and has a good vision, yeah, bad things are going to happen. But over time, that's going to prevail, right? All those things, those external circumstances that we want to blame all of our misfortune on, they still happen to you. But the positive mind does win out every time over time. Yeah, the numbers are astounding for those who win lotteries or, or inheritance of millions of dollars that will be bankrupt within a few years. It's just outrageous because their mindset of what they feel about money versus what they have kind of clash. They kind of sabotage themselves, and it's astounding how many people go broke. And even in commission sales, it's very hard for people to realize that you earn what you feel you're worth. And sometimes we have to adjust how we think about wealth and success so we don't sabotage ourselves. Good stuff. Anything else that you would like to add when we talk about vision versus worry? The main thing is, is there's parasites out there. The people, your family and friends, when you tell them about your goals, they will spit on your dreams because they've given up on their dreams. They've given up on other goals and either consciously or subconsciously, they're going to pull you down. And you have to be aware that that is going to happen. Don't let people suck the life out of you. Just say, mm, watch me. Let's make this happen and follow your path. Successful people follow their hearts. If you try to listen to all the opinions of all the other people out there, it's just going to drive you nuts. Follow your heart, stay focused, make your goals, create that vision. It'll make a huge difference in your life. All right, good stuff. And I understand we've got Homer incoming. Homer, do it. Go, go, go. So you, you have right, to have some, like... some pretty strong ethics on this one, Kurt. I mean, that's my opinion. <laughs> well, this, uh, this could go either way on a blunder, but uh, I was talking to a fellow trainer, and they were working on this big deal with this company that actually – Mine silver and gold, very, very big company, very wealthy company. And he was in the stage in his life, in his training career, where he needed this gig. And so they had narrowed it down to three people to train at this big old convention. And so he put in the proposal, and he needed to make sure he was going to get it. So it was actually quite low. So he went up there for a meeting to talk to him, and the person says, you know, we dig money out of the ground. <laughs> What's that mean? says, your bid's way too low. You should double and triple it. You're not even close to the people. You're way too low, which I don't know if that's being brutally honest, if that's a blunder, or if, if that's how it was set up. But obviously, he doubled the, the price and got the engagement and made a good profit from it. But sometimes in negotiation, we say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, give the wrong impression to where we're not getting the best deal. But then again, maybe this guy was just being nice and trying to help this guy out. But the reality is be very, very careful. It's a huge blunder in negotiations where you reveal too much that you are not getting the best deal possible. Because even at the lower rate, that still would have been a win-win for everyone. Wow, talk about zero ownership. 
in that <laughs> company, right? I mean, it, it, when it's everybody's money, it's nobody's money, right? I guess there was, there was an ownership issue, and obviously he liked the trainer more than the company, or maybe the company had so much profit that they needed to spend it as fast as possible. I guess that's always an option. It's free. You don't have to earn it. You just dig it. Yeah, it doesn't well, grow on trees. Earth. It grows in the ground. Yeah, see, they figured it out. Yeah. Well, that's just earth-shattering stuff you're learning on the podcast today. Really. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it is in the ground. So <laughs> There you go. Throw the podcast your... in and get digging. Yeah, bury your money and you'll be good. Yes. Or dig up some gold. Practical financial advice. Well, <laughs> all right, Kurt. That's going to do it for this week. Everybody, we are reviewing the submissions for the contest that we had a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the persuasion blunders. We invited you to... Go upload a audio or video file of your presentation. This is for people that are thinking, hey, you know what? I really, really want to get better. I am really willing to take a serious look at my persuasion skills. And we're going to give a full year subscription to University of Persuasion to whoever wins. So if this is the first that you're hearing about, what I need you to do is go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com maximizeyourinfluence.com and you can see our podcast episodes there just click see all and it's episode 72 that you want to go to on that link you are on that page you'll see a link to upload your presentation kurt and i will review it and like i said the winner gets a full year subscription to universityofpersuasion.com and everybody else you get a free critique from Kurt and I. We're going to sit down, we're going to go through all these, and we're going to give you a couple of pointers. And we don't know who you are, right? We're not coming at you with any initial judgments or anything like that. We're just going to give you our honest opinion from somebody who's never met you. And that's pretty worthwhile. So definitely go check that out. And as always, please recommend us to your friends. Subscribe on iTunes to maximize your influence. And uh, we will catch you next week on another episode. See you next week.